Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. That was, I'm like a disc jockey, aren't I? That was Charles Aznavour, or as my mum used to call him, Charles Near Enough, singing She, because we're having a bit of a French week this week. Ooh la la. Although we haven't been to France. Sadly. Sadly. I've been to see Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which has Leslie Manville. And she plays a cleaner whose husband dies and she comes into some money and I think she wins some as well. And she goes to Dior to buy a dress. But what I liked most about it was seeing Paris in the 1950s. What a time to be alive. And the streets are so empty and all the clothes are beautiful, the salons are beautiful. It just reminds me of how amazing Paris is, and I haven't been there for a few years now. I haven't been to Paris since for before years. lockdown. The uh, last thing I remember when I drove through Paris was all the people trying to wash your windscreen and sell you things through the window stuck in traffic. Well, Mrs. Harris doesn't have that. No, she's very lucky. That was very annoying. So she goes to Dior, she goes to the atelier. And I've actually been to the Dior Atelier. You haven't. I have. You never mentioned that before. I have because that's where I interviewed John Galliano. <laughs> I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Should we do a different podcast now? <laughs> no, carry on. And it is absolutely beautiful and everything's white and immaculate. If you get a borrow out your bag, that everyone looks daggers at you and six men rugby tackle you and take your borrow <laughs> off you. Yeah. And I've actually worn Dior Couture. That must be very nice. Well, I had to go... You know I overdo things. Not No, no, definitely not you. I had to go to the leaving dinner of the then editor of the Mail on Sunday, Peter, and I borrowed a black... It was like spangled suit by Dior Couture from... A vintage shop, Williams. Do you remember William? William I Vintage. I do. He has some beautiful stuff, doesn't he? He lent it to me for the evening because I'd done a really nice story on him for You magazine. And he is absolutely fantastic and he travels the world finding vintage stuff. It's weird, though, when you wear something from the 1950s, it feels constricting because it was before Lycra and nothing moved, nothing was stretchy. Like It's like if you put on a pair of Levi's from the 70s, you wouldn't know how to wear them because they're so no. 
I'm used to jeans with stretch. We're used to jackets with stretch. We're used to everything with stretch. Anyway, I stuffed myself into your couture and I sat at this big table for the leaving dinner and I had two very clever people next to either side of me, Suzanne Moore and James Forsyth. James Forsyth is now the political editor of The Spectator. And they both got so fed up with me being deaf, they both turned away like the opening of a flower to talk to other people. Oh dear. And then I misfortune of sharing a taxi back to central London with both of them. So I was feeling very overfaced. Oh dear. And ignored. And they tipped me out at Clerkenwell and then Suzanne Moore wrote a horrible piece about me in The Guardian saying I can't be poor if I live in Clerkenwell and why am I wearing couture? it's quite obvious you borrow things like that isn't yeah. it i mean that's 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 quite common isn't it in, well it in, is in, in your, my world in yeah your world, yeah i mean not in my world my world we just go no, to but primark. you're not a fashion editor so i just go to primark but in your world you do borrow things from designers yeah. don't you yeah and she should know that. that's a bit mean mean very mean. mean it was before you had your hearing aids as well wasn't it before i had my hearing aids so mean blocker mean blocker mean but it is good fun, the film, and it's just not that much of a story, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it is, if you want to just vicariously travel to Paris, it's beautiful, and the staircases, I've got a thing about staircases. Oh, I like a nice staircase. With the beautiful raw iron and the stone. Everywhere in Paris has got lovely staircases. And 50s clothes as well. 50s clothes. I love 50s clothes. So it is, it is a lovely film. I, I really would recommend seeing Mrs. What's it goes to wherever. Nice little feel good. My mum's actually seen it twice. Your mum goes out more than I do. No, well, she didn't see it twice on purpose. She went with one of her neighbours <laughs> and she went and saw it. And then her other neighbour, she'd forgotten she was supposed to be going with her Did other neighbour. Did she pretend she'd not seen so it? So she pretended she hadn't seen it and went with the other neighbour. So she had to see it twice. I think I've done that. <laughs> no, no, I know when I did something twice. It was at Christmas. And you had all those horrible guests, and you made me come to lunch. And then Isabel invited me that to was lunch. I had to have two Christmas dinners on the same day because both of you have invited me. That was like Vicar of Dibley, wasn't it? Yeah, I was like Dawn French, you, but you were dinner. Dawn French. <laughs> Poor Martin, his horrible guests. That was his family. <laughs> <laughs> But a film I really want to see, but I haven't seen yet because we've run out of time, is Emily, about Emily Bronte. It's supposed to be very good, isn't it? It's supposed to be very good, but it also trashes Charlotte. It trashes Charlotte because apparently Jane Eyre isn't as good as Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights has all these super fans, a bit like Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Who love Wuthering Heights. But I actually prefer Jane Eyre. I love Jane Eyre. I think it's heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking. And it's a bit like Donna Tartt with The Secret History, where she portrays this student going through winter and you actually feel cold and you can't bear the suffering. When Jane Eyre's got no money and she sleeps under a hedge, I absolutely was with her and felt it, mm. what it would be like to be walking with just your little cloth bag and sleep in a hedge and have nothing. But 
they are so. Di- I don't see how you can compare them. They're so different. I mean, Wuthering Heights is spectacular. No, but I'm not comparing but them. The film that's, is. That, no, that's what I mean. The that's film I mean. trashes one of the sisters. That's what I mean. I think that's a bit mean because I think they're both fantastic in their own genre. But we might review that next week, Emily. If I yeah. ever get time to go to the cinema again. You could go and sit, you could go and get your popcorn and your glass of wine. Get a recliner, you'll be well away. So what have you been reading or watching or listening to now? Well, I've been, um, I've been, I was waiting for this book to come out actually. It's called By Your Side, My Life Loving Barbara Windsor. And it came out yesterday by her husband, Scott Mitchell. And I really wanted to read this book because I love, I love Babs, love Babs. She's... Proper East End bird. Is she who you base yourself on? I, I would be very happy to base myself on her. I, I, I'm sadly not that beautiful, not that witty, <laughs> not that successful, so didn't go very well. But, I mean, I was brought up on her. I had the Carry On films and then, like, Peggy Mitchell. I mean, I think she's just fantastic. But so. what, what does he tell you about her that you didn't know? Well... For example? This... this quite a lot of things there's lots of lovely antidotes and there's a lot of things i didn't know i have i mean i i haven't to be fair written read her autobiographies so there's a lot i didn't know that other people might if they've read those but this is very much from his perspective and very much about his experience so although obviously it's about his life with her and we get lots of references to all these wonderful people like Danny LaRue and Scylla Black and June Whitfield all these people I grew up with watching with my nan you know um and, and great antidotes and we find out lots about it but it's we don't have much. those sort of people anymore we do we we don't we really don't and it's it's really sad but do you remember I interviewed June Whitfield when she was in Ab Fab yeah I do I do she was that. she didn't live that much long after the interview I don't know whether it was Hopefully my fault not related <laughs> But she was young stars. They can be very difficult. They get upset when you get in their bath. But I, but I would say that June Whitfield and Mary Berry, doing an interview with them, doing a photo shoot, they don't complain. No. They don't say they're tired. They don't moan. They don't refuse to do anything. We just don't have those sort of people anymore. No, it's a whole different generation. And that really does come across on in this book and about how much they all love what they do. They're entertainers through and through, right to their bones. They love what they do. And, I mean, this is all sort of on the peripheries. He, the book is really very much from, about him and how he coped. And the writing isn't amazing. It's a bit clumsy in parts, but it's, it is really good. I would definitely recommend it. It's... Really honest. How really did he cope open. being a carer then? Well, I think it's not just being a carer. I mean, it's it's his whole life. I mean, he started off very young when he got together with Barbara Brinza. And what, he, was he 12? He, not far off, I don't think. He was very young. And there's a lot about the pressure of him being a younger man. And, of course, people like Peter Stringfeller, and that was all, all these little dolly birds and all younger women. But for it to be the other way around... It was quite unusual that long ago. So there was a lot of disrespect to him, a lot of sniggering. He was overlooked a lot. I mean, he was an actor in his own right. Not not overly successful, I don't think, but he was trying. He was young. He was trying to get into the business. And so he really sort of struggled with that. They'd go out and he would get ignored. He'd be talked over. There was lots of digs about him wanting her money because she was successful. And, and of course, like many people, she didn't have any money. 
she was in that very typical worked her backside off, worked really hard. And what she was actually doing was propping up her ex-husband's business and ended up with a million pound debt for him. Wasn't she involved with the craze? Uh, she was married to Ronnie. Um, Pardon? She was married to Ronnie, what's his name? So she was, she knew the craze through them. Ronnie who? Oh, God. Biggs? No. Um, <laughs> Hang on, let me Google it. I can't when remember. I was a child at school, there was a great train robbery and I had to make a papier-mâché puppet of Ronnie Biggs and I gave him an afro. Ronnie Knight. Oh, okay. She was married to Ronnie Knight, so she sort of had had the craze sort of in her life throughout, but very indirectly. So, yeah, he, so he, she didn't have the money. So, well, he wasn't after her money. And it ended up with him... It, it, Drinking, taking drugs, and, Who and did? this this uh, Scott, and he talks really honestly about bad his Scott. Drug. Bad Scott, but you can kind of see how it happened. He's propping up their lives. She's going off. She's working really hard. He's propping everything up, but he feels completely like he doesn't matter, and he's not taking any notice of. And you can imagine he goes from this ordinary life. He's a really young man, and then he slips into this stream where drinking and partying. Is, is just part of the world. And initially, I think he would find it quite intimidating. He's meeting all these stars. He's suddenly hanging out with Elton John. That sounds like my marriage. It's, uh, yeah, it, uh, and I could see I could see the sort of relationship. Wasn't that. it funny, the podcast where I forgot I'd been married? Yeah, that was. I said, well, I've been married. Oh, I have been married. Well, you I have forgot. been married. You have. You have to remember that. And so he's the one keeping all the cogs turning. So he talks really honestly, and he talks about a form of liquid bulimia where he'd drink so much and then he would be sick so that he could drink more. And it ended up with them having a breakup um, and they obviously got back together. So that was all really interesting. But obviously I was really interested in the dementia side of things. I, I don't know a lot about it. And I know people will be listening that have got people in their family with dementia or are coping with it themselves. And what come across was how insidious dementia is, how it sort of creeps in and it takes over and how it completely changes the person. I mean, my only, my only sort of experiences with my dog, and that was, that was heartbreaking enough. That, that was devastating for me to see him change. I can't imagine what it's like if it's your mum or your dad or, or your No, well, my mum had dementia. It must, it must be awful. It was Because at first you don't realise there's anything wrong because she'd learnt a few phrases so no one would know. No. So she knew to hide it. I'm fine, thank you. So you sort of thought she was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't, and it sort of it creeps in at first, doesn't it? And it is just this odd little memory loss. And you think, oh, she's getting older and whatever. It, you sort of accept it. But he talks really openly about like the aggression that come in the later stages. Oh, and, my mum was never aggressive. Yeah, and 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 things like. She wanting to eat all the time because she'd forgotten to eat, and then later on she didn't want to eat. And there's a bit where he says when she's in the care home, she she really struggled going in the care home. She didn't understand why she was there, and she'd phone him up and she'd say, "Well, where the hell are you? I'm sitting here surrounded up by old people." She was absolutely furious and got really aggressive about it. And you know, at the time his dad was dying. His dad died. They had COVID while she was in the care home in the later stages of her dementia. So it is really had, and all credit to him. He didn't. He didn't relapse. He didn't go back to drinking or drugs. I mean, it, and you can see how absolutely awful it was for him. It, it actually broke my heart reading this because 
I love I love Babs. She's she's an East Ender. I'm an East Ender. It, there's a certain type of person, and I just relate to her so much. And it, I don't know. It's just awful. Do you know at the moment, which is quite sad, really. And you know we've talked about Jay Goody, yeah, and me going to a funeral yeah, yeah. and stuff. Her son is in EastEnders. Jay Goody's son. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. And he's so handsome. Oh. He's like her, but male. Well, his dad's very handsome, isn't he, Jeff? Is he very handsome? I wouldn't kick him out. Anyway, handsome. the son's very handsome. Maybe you need to move on to the son. No, I definitely wouldn't kick Jeff out either. But I think so. Sort of looking at her sort of career in EastEnders. Everyone knows about Get Out of My Pub. Get Out of My Pub and, and how she was sort of the matriarch of, of the the Mitchell brothers and stuff. But she had these great storylines and she was actually struggling with dementia for the last big storyline she did. And she had breast cancer and a mastectomy. And she was, I think, the first person and East Ends was the first soap to tackle having a terminal illness and then making a decision that she would take her own life. So, you know, it's... That they, Is that what happened in the programme? That's what happened in the programme. And and it's really ironic, isn't it? Because as Peggy, what she says to Pat is she doesn't want to be trapped in her body with her illness. And then actually that's what happened to her in real life. Yeah. She got dementia and she was trapped in her body. So that I found very poignant and very sad. And, you know, we saw... I mean, I think, I think EastEnders have done a lot of the first... The first things, HIV, cancer, breast cancer, taking your own life, you know, because you're terminally ill. And she was a big part of that. She was a big, and I don't know, I just, I just love her. Do you want to hear this week's column? Let's hear it. Excited. Very excited. So this week's column... I'm told off. Actually, do you know what? I'm sick of people telling me off. To to be fair, I'm not overly surprised this time. Not really. No? No, no not really. Devil's advocate and all. I'm I've not, got a bone to pick as well at I'm, the end. I'm not surprised. The fallout was worse than I expected. Sunday morning, my phone rang. Do you know, I'm going to put my phone in a bucket of water on a Sunday. You've got an iPhone 12 Pro. It's it's completely waterproof. Is it? Yeah. You could go diving with it. No, that's the 14, isn't it? No, that's waterproof. Because I've got the 12 and it's waterproof. Well, it wasn't until I cracked the screen. Anyway, the phone it. rang. I hadn't even put my hearing aids in. His name came up. Oh, God. What did you expect? You slept with that dickhead. Hang on, I said. Well, I put my hearing aids in. You know, the annoying ones that prompt the man, who is indeed a dickhead, to say the whistling is really annoying. This, despite the fact you're in a £500 room paid by me and have just paid over £150 for dinner. Why do men always have three courses? Why do men always have three courses? Oh, I'm not that hungry, but I'll eat three courses. I quite like three courses. I must admit, I like three courses. Not when someone else is paying, thanks. No, no, I don't do it when someone else is paying. Well, so he says, you slept with that dickhead. I said, well, technically, no. We didn't have sex in the cystitis sense. And we didn't sleep together. He can never sleep at night as he does nothing all day. He just lies there moving his arms, getting up to go to the loo. Why do men get up to go to the loo in the middle of the night? 
Shuffle, 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 shining his phone on things and waking me up. Why then? Why did you do it? Because you went to get milk and never came back. He replies, my hypnotherapist told me to avoid conflict. Seriously, these men are like, aren't like children. They're like babies. Him. I don't even want you texting him. Isn't that a bit shutting the door after the horse has bolted? Me. I can understand that. When I discovered my husband was multiple cheating on me, it wasn't the sex part so much that made me jealous. Though God knows how he managed it. They actually cut what I said about him there. <laughs> but the fact he was texting other women, Jess, Daphne, Kavita, yoga whore, fat journalist, texts are so small and intimate, aren't they? Tiny parcels of possibilities. You can keep rereading and analysing them, whereas a conversation such as the one we've just had is like air, transient. You try to replay it in your head, but it's gone. I told him White Pepper Guy is now properly blocked by an IT expert, <laughs> asterisk, <laughs> Nick. Me! God help us. And that even if he sends a physical letter, I will use it to light the fire. What made you do it, he said, calming down. He sent me a nice birthday card. He called me darling. Oh, for God's sake. It reminded me of why I loved him for 40 years. Oh, for God's sake. I'm still shocked that a man who sent a card saying he loves you still, after barely two hours in your company, cannot resist telling you to F off. Who moans about everything? How many decrepit old gits get invited to dinner at Soho House? Why not be sweet, funny and ask after Gracie? She just had an exploratory operation. Do you know, I pay over £250 a month on animal insurance. Oh, well over. Yep. Anyway, back to the annoying flea in my hearing aid. He said, you made me look stupid in front of my friends. By writing about him in his column, my column. Me, what are you, 12? Then he said something he cannot come back from, worse than just disappearing in the night, worse than ejecting me from awake. I think you date White Pepper as he makes you feel young and attractive. I am young by comparison, actually, to him. To White Pepper, man? Yeah. Well, you are. You weren't paying attention there, were you? No, but I was getting confused between all the options. You know he adores you and you exploit that. You dangle stuff in front of their noses, but it's all a mirage. It's not sustainable. You know they can't compete with you in any way. Financial, career, stamina. And when he doesn't measure up, you make him feel small. You don't want someone who's equal. That's what my ex-husband said. Maybe they're both right. Stick up for me. Remember who work, you work for? I, I, yes, yes, I'm, I am. I think you need to choose better. I think you need to need to get better men on board. I don't really choose do. them. They choose me. I don't choose them. But you need to take control and, and stop allowing them to infiltrate. You need to choose better. I mean, this one sounds at least like he's got, you know, he's, he's got more about him than A White brain. Pepper Man. Yeah. He's much funnier than White Pepper Man. He's, he's much more engaged than that White Pepper That isn't hard. Man. Well, exactly, exactly. We need to remember this at crucial moments, like when you're texting, dialing or shagging. It's like I went for lunch at the Ivy with my friend Andrea the other day because I had to go into the office. And I haven't been to the Ivy. Lovely, Andrea. Since, or oh, for years. Do you know I had my hen night at the Ivy? Did you? 
Well, my hen stripper. How did the stripper go down? No, the only people at my hen night, my hen night was me, my PA, Kerry. The very willing. Very willing, Kerry. and she nearly came on the honeymoon. And my future husband, he came on the hen night. What a wimp. Why? Why? What's wrong with you? All I got was Kerry and my bloody husband. And they didn't get you a stripper? Well, I suppose your husband... That's not allowed in the Ivy. Yeah, that would eliminate the Ivy. Anyway, I went for lunch with Andrea and... Can you believe... We only had two courses. I had vegan feta with watermelon and then I had a sort of vegan curry. And the bill was about £175. Yeah, I do believe it because it's a bloody ivy. Anyway, so Andrea said to me, what on earth do you see when I told her this story? about going out for dinner and him saying my hearing aids were annoying and he just flounced off and I paid for everything. She said, what on earth do you get in return? She said, he's not funny, he doesn't have any anecdotes, doesn't have any stories, not rich. But you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different ending. I don't no, understand No, no, he's blocked it. now because you blocked him. I know, but you've blocked him before. Not and properly because you, and you and didn't then, do it. And then you shagged him. It's not working. Not, with not, you. In, not in the cystitis. Not in the cystitis. Sense. I'm not even going to question that. I'm not going to go into that any deeper. I'm not. I'm not doing it. You can read this week's diary in full in Man on Sundays, You Magazine. We've been to Paris, haven't we, with Mrs. Harris? Been to Paris with Mrs. Harris. The only she, way I'm going. she used her husband's life insurance to go and buy a dress. So my archive this week is from April 2009, and it was a piece of how much has Liz Jones spent on fashion? And the intro's funny. <laughs> it started with a £95 sweater when she was living on £20 a week. Then Liz Jones moved on to £150 knickers and £475 crystal-encrusted shoes she can't walk in. Madness, yes. Knowing you, though, you've still got those knickers and the sweater. No, the knickers were from Marc Jacobs, the shop, and I only bought them because I was doing a feature on Could I Take Stuff Back? And they wouldn't let me take them back. But when I got the knickers from Mark Jacobs' home, which did cost £150, do you know what it said inside? What? Dry clean only. No. Especially for me. No. This Was this before your incontinent days? Well, it might have, you know. No, no. I would have had a huge dry cleaning bill. That is gross. (laughs) No. Can you imagine going into the dry cleaners dangling your knickers? No. So the piece begins, do you remember that scene in Sex and the City when Carrie, unable to raise a deposit to buy her apartment, she says, she is me, she is me, I am her, enlists Miranda's help to find out where on earth all her hard-earned money has gone. She works out she has 100 pairs of shoes at an average of $400 a pair, which figures she's, so Carrie thinks, very much like me, this meant she spent £4,000. That isn't so bad, she says. <laughs> then Miranda points out that she has, in fact, spent £40,000. Carrie realises she will become the old lady who lives in her shoes. 
I too, having yet again had a credit card cut up before my eyes in Harvey Nichols, have been forced to face the reality of my finances. I have shockingly discovered that my obsession with fashion has cost me literally 10 times that amount, not including underwear, interest or bounce check charges. No wonder I live in fear of the postman and emails from my long-suffering accountant, Ken. Oh, he's a blast from the past, isn't he? When I first moved to London in the late 70s, while my fellow students spent their pennies on alcohol and went around in loons and cheesecloth, I headed for Joseph Trico on South Moulton Street, where I lost my designer virginity to a hand-knitted cotton snowflake sweater that cost £95. That's when I was on a student grant, and the only way I ate was by going to Neil's yard and eating the peanut butter samples, pretending I was choosing. <laughs> God. And my but sister's got, got 90... that sweater, and I no. asked for it back, and she wouldn't give it back. No. Yeah. That's an original, I could have it in a frame. You could wear it. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't want it all to go bobbly. Probably don't go bobbly that old. They were better made, weren't they, with better materials. My second method of shopping is a tried and tested panic buy. I have a wedding to go to, not mine, or a summer ball, and I keep putting off going shopping as I have no money. Then the day looms, I've got nothing suitable, and so I buy something in a rush. When I went to the Oscars a couple of years ago, I told myself, don't buy a new dress, just wear the M&S pleated one. No one will be looking at you anyway. I got to LA, I felt so unhappy with what I'd be wearing. I didn't like my arms, you see. I cannot imagine you going to the Oscars in an M&S dress. I really can't. I almost became agoraphobic. I took a taxi to Barney's in LA and I spent £3,600 on a black cashmere duster coat by Jill Sander that was too hot anyway. That same day, I saw a pair of silver Monono Blahniks that were okay but weddingy. They told me they didn't have them in my size and I felt so thwarted I suddenly couldn't live without them. Sod the environment. I made Barney's flyer pair to my hotel room from their New York store the next day. Oh dear. Other bonkers purchases. You know, I've still got the Jill Sander and I've still got the Manola Blahnik. To be fair, the Jill Sander cut is beautiful. It looks like it's completely new, doesn't it? No, it's it? beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So it's earned its, it's earned its keep. It's earned its keep, yeah. I was very hot, though, by the pool. <laughs> God, I can imagine. So apart from the Mark Jacobs dry clean only knickers... I bought a pair of Prada ski trousers that I've never worn because I hate skiing and I'm terrified of altitude. I often do that terrible thing of buying something. Remember, this is many, many years ago. A pair of Prada platforms, a pair of Seven for All Mankind jeans, and then later find I already have the exact same thing at home. I bought a man's Rolex watch because my friend Mina had looked so chic wearing hers. Then I went to Paris and saw a breathtaking girl with a Cartier tank and I felt so sick I had to rectify the situation and fast. I pawned my new £1,800 Rolex for £400 to put towards Cartier. It seemed to make sense at the time. And where was the very willing Kerry dealing with you with this? Yeah. Where was Kerry? Where was Kerry? I think she'd gone by the wayside. I think she found it too hard to work for me and she went and worked for High Life. (laughs) 
You might think I'm writing this because I'm cured, but yesterday, with my niece's smart London wedding only days away, I went on Net-A-Porto. I do get 30% off at Net-A-Porto, by the way. I have to say in my defence, I get 30% off at Net-A-Porto. And I ordered an Yves Saint Laurent draped jacket for £1,225 and a hand-painted Vera Wang dress for 2750 and a Bottega clutch for 602, 602 the Vera Wang dress, I sent it back, although I think they took a picture of me in it, and the Bottega Veneta clutch, you sold it for me on eBay. I did. In it. I did. And then the person it. who bought it said, how do I know it's genuine? And we had to send this picture of it. It has a special stamp, doesn't yes. it, on the clutch. Yes. But then, on the catch, and then she emailed and said, oh, it's Liz Jones. Oh, well, it must be genuine. Yes. I think when, when she thought it was me, she didn't think it was genuine. <laughs> like a lot of women, I lie to myself to justify my purchases. I tell myself I deserve something because it's my money and I work hard. If something is hideously expensive, I try to figure out how many times I will wear it and divide the price by that number. If it's still too expensive, I just increase the wearing number. I have to say that the Helmut Lang blazer I bought in 1996 for £1,700 is still going strong. When I buy clothes in the sales, I only pay attention to how much money I'm saving. If I buy lots of things, I've saved lots of money. I tell myself high street clothes, see Nick only wears next, never last or fit that well. When I do buy from the high street, a cream Madonna at H&M skirt, a black Roland Murray at Gap dress, I never really loved the garment that much and leave it languishing. At the end of the 90s, I edited a fashion magazine and witnessed the artifice behind the fashion pages, the retouching. They, you know, they never fit, so they put bulldog clips at the back and they sellotape stuff. It's all artifice. The fact the models all look younger and more beautiful when they arrived for a shoot in jeans than when we'd finished tarting them up in Dior. See, we're back to Dior again, you see. We are. We've come full circle to Dior. Oh, we're back to Stella again here. The moment I should have realised that nobody lives their lives acted out in glossy advertising campaigns and magazines was a few years ago when I went on the train to Berwick-on-Twee to interview the model Stella Tennant, who's now sadly, sadly died. As she was the face of Burberry, I, of course, went to Burberry first and bought the riding boots, the print shirt, the navy trench. When she picked me up from the station, Stella Tennant, you know she's related to the D- Duchess of Devonshire. Yeah, we well, did an interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stella was driving a beaten-up estate car with something hideous on the back seat, like a pram or a wheelchair. She was wearing dirty Converse Converse baseball boots, jeans and an old T-shirt. She's a multimillionaire with real estate. I buy my food on an American Express credit card because there's nothing in my current account. And I'm really good friends with the man in the little kiosk on Kensington High Street who cashes checks for you. He cashes checks you and gives you the money, but you know it's going to bounce and he knows it's going to bounce. I got to know him very well. That was a few years ago. I mean, God, yeah, checks. But we're, we're in an checks. archive, aren't we? I know, but just, it's like a... It's can't a do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. Do you know, anymore. before you used to go in a shop with a credit card and they used to do the machine that took a print, yeah. print a carbon so off it. So if you it. had nothing in your account, you'd be all right at the time. So they didn't know there was nothing in your account. Yeah. 
Yeah, technology's buggers us, really. Why, I asked her, is Stella not taken in by fashion, whereas I'm in its thrall? I think it's all to do with self-confidence. She doesn't need all this stuff to make her popular or desired. Don't you think that's interesting, though, that I go to interview the face of Burberry and I'm so trying my best, I go wearing Burberry and the face of Burberry isn't wearing Burberry and she could have got it all for nothing. Yeah. So it's no wonder we're all in a pickle, isn't it? Yeah. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Come on then, let us... We're going back to the prince, sweating. Ow! That's Michael Jackson. Oh, that's Michael Jackson. What did the prince do then? I don't... Sweated, apparently. Lynn says, Prince sweated on me. Please expand. Would love to hear your experience on meeting and interviewing him. Love the podcast. You and Nick are a great team. Best wishes, Lynn. Well, Lynn, I don't know that you haven't been paying attention here. I'm sure I, we've had that in the, in the archives. I think, Lynn, really, you need to go into the podcast archive. Yeah. Because I went to... Minneapolis to interview Prince and I was very nervous he just his wife had just had a baby and it died so I had to interview him while he was grieving but he still made fun of me because I was stammering and I told him off that he had doves in a cage I said they shouldn't be in a cage but he sweated on me when I went to Wembley Arena 17 times in a row and he'd roll his eyes at me that I'm there again and during one of his twirls he was he was sweating and it landed on me and I licked it. I literally want to vomit. I wouldn't lick the sweat of some I wouldn't let the sweat Prince. What nice to Prince, mate. He wasn't no. ow It was not, no. I don't think he made any noise. I don't think he made a noise. I don't think he had a signature or crutch grab. It was all Michael Jackson. Right, we've also got um Teresa. He says, hi, Nick, I had to send a message after listening to the latest podcast. I couldn't believe how Soho House treated Liz. It really upset me. I wish you'd have put her plea out on Twitter and I would have let her stay at my house. I've been homeless in the past through a failed relationship and I know how these things trigger you. So I completely get Liz's anxiety and frustration over the way she gets treated. Sending you both good wishes. Thank you. That's nice, isn't it? I got a text from Dawn saying, oh, Liz, you should have called me because... My flat's empty at the moment. You could have stayed there. But it was two in the morning. You yeah, can't yeah. call people at two in the morning. And also, you just it don't occur to you, do you? you just got to try and sort of problem solve. And I couldn't then get all the way to Kennington because it was two in the morning and I had all my stuff and I had to file. But then I had a really nasty comment on Twitter. And she said, well, Liz, if I was paying to stay at, stay at Soho House, I wouldn't want to come down to reception and see you camping there. I wasn't camping. I was sitting at my computer writing. At least I wasn't drunk in the bar like a man was. I wasn't As, camping. That, that, what, who is this snobby person? What a snob. What should we do to her? Put her out on the streets one night and see how she likes it. Yeah, it triggered my homelessness-ness-ness. Well, it I, did. I think she needs, I don't know, I think she needs a slap. It's mean. 
Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcast videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.